Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This podcast contains adult themes and content that some listeners may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. Many thanks to our guest writer and guest editor for their help on this episode. Lucy tells the police that John has shot her mother and states that she was running for her life. She then made the courageous decision to return to the scene of the incident and acknowledged the fact that going back to that scene might lead to her death. Her last words to the operator were, I don't know if I'm going to be alive if I go back in there. He shot my mum. Bye. This is Red Rum, a podcast focusing on the true victims of crime. Episode 44, The Puppy Farm Murders. quiet, beautiful village of Tilford, situated in the west of Surrey, became home to mother Christine Lee and two daughters Lucy and Stacy in the 1980s, following their escape from an abusive relationship. Tilford, which is situated near Farnham, is a desirable residential area because of its excellent road and rail access, and it's one of the most affluent and populated areas of the country outside of London due to its travel links and proximity to the UK's capital city. Average house prices are the second highest in the country, driven by the wealth of its city commuters and the transformation of the local economy from traditional industries like paper production to high-tech-based businesses. Tilford still has old-world English village charm and picturesque landscapes and countryside. 82-year-old John Lau had lived at Keeper's Cottage all his life, and he didn't fit in with the Surrey stockbrokers around him. His flint stone-built premises was surrounded by masses of land and trees bordering a road, creating a sense of isolation, and in the grounds of Keeper's Cottage were old lean-tos, cages and garages giving the feeling of a shanty town. John's property was not only a home, but a place where he also built his livelihood of dog breeding. In 2004, John lost his license for breeding as a result of animal cruelty and neglect. He was visited by the RSPCA on a number of occasions after that, and with the support of local Waverley Council, in 2005, he was given a fine and a two-year disqualification after admitting six breaches of license conditions under the Breeding Dogs Act 1973. John was further investigated in 2008 and discovered to have been illegally breeding, 
resulting in £11,000 in fines and costs, as well as being handed a five-year disqualification. Refusing to give up his way of income, John continued to breed despite the withdrawal of his breeding licence and he was visited yet again by the RSPCA in 2013. John, who had his shotguns temporarily confiscated by the police in 2013, spoke violently to police and members of the RSPCA after being visited by both and shouted, quote, If I had my guns, I'd still shoot the lot of you. Christine Lee met John Lau after going to the cottage to buy a dog. At the time, she was in the process of escaping an abusive relationship and had started to rebuild her life with children Lucy and Stacy. Neighbours of Christine described her as a friendly character, always stopping for a chat. Her daughter Lucy was often seen with her mother and was known to keep herself to herself, but would regularly join her mother when speaking to neighbours. She was a caring and spiritual individual who loved life and had a particular interest towards animals and nature. Neighbours recall moments of Lucy's selflessness from shoveling snow from other people's driveways without a second thought to helping to nurse a sick dog on a daily basis. Another of the neighbours said that Lucy, quote, never used to drink but loved her cigarettes and would sit in my garden. Stacy, however seemed to have a slightly different relationship with her mother from her sister and would contact Christine on an on and off basis. And meanwhile, Stacey's connection with Lucy remained consistent. Stacey really looked up to her sister and described her as a protector, especially in a time of horrendous abuse. Lucy was fearless, yet incredibly kind and intelligent. Sue Wilson was the long-term partner of John Lau, although instead of a partner... John called Sue his housekeeper. Sue was known to be a caring and warm-hearted woman and she tragically passed away in 2013 with complications from dementia. But in 1986, when Christine and her daughters Lucy and Stacy visited Keeper's Cottage with the intention of buying a puppy, they met John and Sue for the first time. Even with Sue present, an instant personal connection sparked between Christine and John. As the relationship developed between the two of them, Sue remained living at the cottage in an arrangement where Christine and her daughters also lived at the cottage for weeks or months at a time. They did this as a way for Christine and her daughters to escape the abuse they faced at home. Over time, life at the keeper's cottage became a relief and a comfort to Christine and her two daughters. The children grew closer and closer to John's partner, Sue, who was sensitive and kind-hearted towards the situation Christine and her daughters had been made to endure. However, John also hit the women, but he was described by Stacy as, quote, much nicer and kinder than Stacy and Lucy's father. Stacey said of John, quote, he could be incredibly kind, he could be incredibly funny. Yes, he hit us, but it was not like what we experienced before. As charming as John could be, he was also incredibly difficult and immature, and he was described by one person who knew him as someone who would act like a child throwing his toys out the pram. Eventually, the two daughters grew up and moved away from Keeper's Cottage. At the same time, Christine was now living in her own accommodation, free from male violence. 
purely by chance. Years after entirely moving out of Keeper's Cottage, Christine bumped into John in 2012. John broke the devastating news that his partner or housekeeper, Sue, was now suffering dementia and he was facing a huge difficulty in looking after her. When Stacy heard about this from her mum, she became helpful in caring for Sue until she died in March of 2013. And while Stacy was visiting the cottage during this period of care for Sue, she simultaneously gave a hand in caring for the poorly kept dogs John was still illegally breeding, even though she disagreed with the way he was keeping them. Stacy said that he should stop breeding them, both because of how poorly the dogs were being looked after and because he was committing a criminal offence during his period of disqualification. With the picture we have of John, together with his years of constant neglect of the animals, it doesn't really come as a surprise that John said he didn't care and had never cared about the concerns Stacy raised. And then, one day when Stacy was washing up in the kitchen of the cottage, John entered the kitchen with a shotgun and for no apparent reason at the time, told her to get out and never come back. Stacy said, quote, He said he was going to blow my head off, so I ran and I ran for my life. After the incident, Stacy quickly called the police, giving details about how John had entered the kitchen, aimed with a shotgun towards her and threatened to kill her if she ever stepped foot in the cottage again. A police investigation into the allegation of threats to kill was undertaken after Stacy's phone call. And meanwhile, all of John's shotguns were removed from the home by police. But no further action was taken because John denied the allegations and Stacy subsequently made a statement saying she did not support John Lau's prosecution. At the time, there was no explanation for her change of heart. The decision was then made by Surrey police that John's guns could be returned to his premises. Following the incident, Stacy no longer visited the farm, although Christine and Lucy continued to go to Keeper's Cottage frequently to provide assistance with the puppy farm. The woman would visit the cottage four days a week, and without Christine and Lucy, John would have found it all but impossible to carry on his life as normal. After Sue's death, the deterioration of John accelerated rapidly And by February 2014, he found himself extremely malnourished in a very financially unstable position. And eventually, John was left unable to care for himself at all. He relied totally on Christine and Lucy. The 23rd of February started off just like a normal day, with Christine and Lucy visiting John to clean and provide assistance. But the situation at Keeper's Cottage changed as the day went on. First, Lucy called her boyfriend Matthew Richardson and told him that John had asked for the keys to his gun cabinet. Matthew told police later that, quote, she was not calm, somewhere in the middle, slightly stressed, and she asked me to pick her up from the cottage and take her home. She was concerned about letting him have access to the gun cabinet. She thought it was perhaps not safe to let him have the keys with her and her mother around. She felt that it would be a threat to her and her mother, end quote. Matthew agreed to pick Lucy up later at 3pm, as when overhearing John's behaviour, Matthew overheard John talking in the background and said he seemed agitated, but nothing that produced a particular concern for Matthew. 
Not long after the conversation between Lucy and her boyfriend had ended, John managed to get the key to the gun cabinet and picked out one of the shotguns that had been returned to him by the Surrey police. He walked into the living room of Keeper's Cottage. Here he found Christine and raised the shotgun towards her chest and approached her until he was standing over her cowering body. Christine's pleas did nothing to stop John from pulling the trigger at almost point-blank range. Being an impossible target to miss, the bullet entered Christine's chest, pushing her body violently backwards. On seeing this, Lucy ran outside and called 999 in a state of terror and distress. And meanwhile, John provided no assistance to Christine, who lay on the floor bleeding to death. And instead, he left her for dead and walked away as if nothing had happened. This is a recording of the 999 call Lucy made to the police. Emergency service. Right, my mother's just been shot. Keeper's cottage shot. My mother's just been shot. Keeper's cottage shot. Keeper's cottage shot. I need the police to come to Keeper's cottage shot. GU10 2AZ. Telephone no. GU10 2AZ. I'm running for my life. GU10 As you can hear, Lucy tells the police that John has shot her mother and states that she was running for her life. Knowing that she had provided all of the information the police needed, she made the courageous decision to return to the scene of the incident and acknowledged the fact that going back to that scene might lead to her death. Her last words to the operator were, quote, I don't know if I'm going to be alive if I go back in there. He shot my mum. Bye. She then went back into the cottage to where her mother now lay motionless and John emptied the second barrel of the shotgun into her head from approximately nine to ten feet away. Blood splattered the walls around the room from the first gunshot and then John, who had two more shotgun cartridges in his pocket, shot her again in the chest from a distance of around a foot. The second gunshot led to Lucy stumbling onto the back steps of the cottage where she tragically died. A medical examiner's report states, the cerebrum on the left side had been severely damaged, but there was nothing on the right side. Shortly after the shooting of the two women, a police helicopter and armed officers were dispatched to the crime scene. Martin, where do you want us to stop? The helicopter captured footage of police arriving at the cottage and the bodies of the deceased women, as well as that of a dog that John was said to have also shot during his killing frenzy. Everyone confirmed the dog has been shot. Everyone confirmed the dog has been shot. 
Further investigation of the premises found three other dogs dead in their kennels. As the police approached John, who showed no signs of wanting to defend himself, his first words to the arresting officer, PC Chris Gleason, were, quote, they have been giving me shit for weeks. PC Gleason, who had no idea how many people were involved in the shooting, recalls the moment he handcuffed John, who told him that there was someone else inside. PC Gleason examined the bodies and found that both Christine and Lucy were dead. John admitted shooting the two women whilst he was being arrested. And as he was taken to the Guildford police station, John demonstrated no remorse and told the officers present that, quote, this might sound terrible to outsiders what happened here, but I can assure you nothing else could be done. He also stated that the women had to be, quote, put down. Evidently, John was not in the slightest bit sorry for the heinous crime that he had committed. He went on to say that his intention was to put down the four dogs, so he had taken four cartridges, one for each dog, loaded one in each barrel of the gun, and put two in his pocket. John claimed that his housekeeper, presumably his partner Sue Wilson, had passed away only four months prior, and his bank account had been emptied of £350,000. By a process of elimination, John pinned his accusation of the stolen money on Christine and Lucy. He said of the incident, quote, I'm not sorry I'm out of the problem. They were causing me problems every day. I've had terrible problems with Christine. They wouldn't let me eat. I'm glad the torment is over with these people. I couldn't take it anymore. John was then taken to Guildford Police Station, where he continued to explain the reasons that he had for his horrific actions. Quote, I know it's a terrible thing to say, but I'm glad those two people are out of my life. They have been giving me a terrible time. And John also started to talk about Stacy, Christine's other daughter. He said, quote, I didn't want to get in shit over her, but she had two young kids. Otherwise, I'd have sorted her out. Stacy Banner's her name. Stacy is the sister of Lucy who went today. John went on to talk about his reasons behind the shooting. Quote, Christine Lee is an ex-girlfriend who is supposed to be looking after me but is starving me to death and has been keeping me short of money. I have to beg them for petrol money. They were both barracking me and I pulled the trigger. I don't even think I meant to. I shouldn't have pulled the trigger but I did and that's it. All the relief has gone off my shoulders. It was terrible morning, noon and night. And later on... John tried to rationalise his actions. Quote, It was funny how she got shot. I loaded the gun to put down four dogs. The gun went off completely by accident. I told you that shooting the older one was a complete accident. It happened as they were pushing me out of the conservatory and the gun went off by accident. Fuck it. I should have thought more seriously about what I was doing. I should have fucked off with the gun outside straight away. The daughter was behind her barging at me So there were two of them pushing me, really. I swear if she hadn't pushed through the door, I wouldn't have done it. I was already in a rage about it, but if she hadn't pushed through the door, it wouldn't have happened. I made a mistake today and I'm very sorry about that. I've been around shotguns all my life and that's the first mistake I've made. I was carrying the gun and must not have cocked it. This audio is part of the police interview with John in his cell at Guildford Police Station. 
I told you already, or I told you on my Eden writing now, but I told you just now. I only got the gun this morning because I was going to put four dogs down. I came in the dining room with a gun, and Lucy started shouting at me. What are you going to do with a gun? What are you going to do with a gun? You're not going to put my mother down, are you? I had no intention really of putting out that. I was going through the door, holding the gun up to go through the door. They were both barraging me in front of me, barricading me. And I pulled the trigger. I don't, I don't think I even meant to. Now, kill. John, just, I really want to make sure that you're aware of this. You did understand that we may have been fancy if you don't make sure. Oh, that's, that's what happened later on. I'm going to tell you what happened. You do say maybe give evidence. I'm admitting to you what happened, all right? John Lau was arrested on suspicion of double murder and went on trial in October 2014 at Guildford Crown Court. As the police presented the evidence in what at first appeared an open and shut case, the courtroom was filled with reporters and members of the public. Certain parts of John's account did differ from what police had found at Keeper's Cottage when they'd come to arrest John and with his initial statements. He claimed that his double-barrel shotgun had fired accidentally. He said he was walking through the kitchen with the gun. He and Christine and Lucy had been having arguments about feeding of the dogs and he'd had enough of it, so he was going to shoot the dogs after he had shot some rats in the yard. He walked towards the kitchen door but found that it was locked. A new lock had been put on and only Christine had the keys. So he walked into the living room to go out of the house by the conservatory doors and found both Christine and Lucy at the table in the conservatory. He said, quote, As soon as they saw me, they both flew up at the door. They were both shouting. And when he was asked if he told them what he was doing, he replied, I didn't get a chance. Christine comes up to me and says, Give me that bloody gun or something like that. Of course I didn't. Christine pulled the barrel of the gun. As soon as she pulled the gun, it went off. It was facing her. I couldn't believe it. He goes on to say that his finger was on the trigger as he was carrying it, and as the gun was pulled, the trigger was pushed into his finger. Quote, In all my life, I never remember doing anything so stupid. You never walk indoors with a gun that's loaded. And later, when he was asked if he meant to pull the trigger, he said, no, of course I didn't. And then he claimed that the gun went off again. Quote, it must have been the flimsy, stupid way I was holding the gun. I just couldn't believe it. With Christine dying in front of him, Lucy ran out of the conservatory and it was at this point that she made that call to the police. John claimed that he thought, thank Christ she has not been hit. A few moments later, Lucy returned with blood on her face and hands and Lau claimed that she went to lie down on the steps at the back of the house and he said he went to check on her. At this point in his evidence, John made another extraordinary claim. Quote, As I stepped away, the bloody gun went off again. But because he thought the cartridge had missed her, he said he went off to shoot the dogs, leaving her there. John told the prosecution barrister that he was knowledgeable about guns. He had been brought up around guns since the age of seven, but added... I was behaving like a real moron to carry the gun in the manner I was. It was absolutely ridiculous. He then claimed that when the police arrived and he realised the enormity of what he had done, 
he tried to kill himself with the shotgun, but that the trigger had just clicked. But a firearms expert giving evidence at the trial disputed John's claim that he had fired accidentally. He told the jury that firing the shotgun was a purposeful act. Quote, you don't just touch it and it will go off. You have to physically move your finger back to pull it. One of the paramedics who had tried to save Christine and Lucy also contradicted John's account. Quote, I noticed a shotgun laid on a table or surface. It appeared to be discarded in the room and was in arm's reach. And once all of the evidence had been delivered, prosecution and defence summed up. The prosecutor told the jury that John had shown a dreadful display of violence and that there had been a persistent failure by the defendant to show any true remorse at any stage for what had happened on that day and he called for a minimum 30-year sentence. John just sat in the dock, calm and expressionless. On the 29th of October 2014, the jury retired to consider their verdict. First would be the verdict on Lucy. It took the jury 12 hours and 15 minutes to convict John of the murder of Lucy Lee and with possession of a firearm with intent to endanger life. 20 hours later, John was found guilty of murdering Christine Lee. John knew now that at the age of 82, he would never live long enough inside prison to leave. His final moments would be spent in a barred, cramped cell. In passing sentence, Mr Justice Singh praised Lisi Lu's remarkable act of courage in making a 999 call after her mother had been shot before returning to confront John only to be shot twice in the head and chest. He said John must have chased Lucy Lee in order to shoot her dead after the first shot, which was one of several aggravating factors in the double murder. Quote, Having heard the evidence at your trial, I have come to the clear conclusion that you did have an intention to kill both Christine Lee and Lucy Lee rather than cause them serious bodily harm. And... John was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Christine's sister, Julia James, said in a public statement after the trial, quote, Christine and Lucy put the needs of others first. My sister had a heart of gold and was full of life. Lucy believed in protecting life and being kind to others. I witnessed on numerous occasions how caring Christine and Lucy had been towards John. John was sent to prison to live out his final remaining years behind bars and that might have been an end to it, but it wasn't. In the succeeding months and years following his conviction, new facts about the case, unknown at the time, began to emerge. This episode of Red Rum is sponsored by Ana Luisa Jewelry. That's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A, Ana Luisa. Anyone that knows me knows I love jewellery and I just recently switched from silver to gold jewellery and I cannot get enough of my gold dome ring from Ana Luisa. I literally wear it every single day. It's an absolute staple for me. Their prices start from just $39 and I've got a discount code exclusively for Red Rum listeners to get 20% off. I'll leave the link in the show notes. Make sure you check out their store every Friday as new jewellery collections are released every single week. And you can get 20% off the entire Ana Luisa website by using the code REDRUM today. 
go to shop.analuisa.com slash redrump. That's shop.analuisa.com slash redrump for 20% off. As we know, John's shotguns had already been confiscated by Surrey police a year before the shooting. Stacey Banner, Lucy's sister and Christine's daughter, had been at John's house in May 2013. We don't know precisely what transpired between John and Stacey, but what we do know is that it ended with Stacey being threatened with a shotgun, her leaving Keeper's Cottage never to return, and reporting the incident to the police, who visited John and confiscated his firearms. Two months later, Surrey police returned John's firearms, including the one used to kill Christine and Lucy. In the light of these revelations, Surrey Police referred itself to the Independent Police Complaints Commission, or the IPCC. The investigation into the actions of the Surrey Constabulary concluded, this was a tragic and shocking incident which has had a terrible impact on Christine and Lucy's loved ones, and my thoughts remain with them. Our investigation paints a deeply concerning portrait of how Surrey Police's firearms licensing team operated at that time. We found a unit which lacked the necessary training and processes to manage such a serious responsibility, staffed by individuals who were failing to undertake their duties with rigour and due consideration. The IPCC investigation found evidence that during the licence review, the firearms licensing supervisor did not take simple investigative steps such as accessing Surrey's police, information and intelligence systems, or highlighting the risks posed by John and his danger to the public, or consider any historic information and intelligence on John. Surrey police responded to the investigation. And our thoughts remain with the family and friends of the two women who lost their lives. A year before this incident, in March 2013, Surrey police seized a shotgun licence and a number of shotguns belonging to Mr Lowe. In July 2013, they were returned following an assessment by firearms licensing officers. After his arrest for murder, Surrey Police immediately referred this previous contact to the Independent Police Complaints Commission. The IPCC decided that the force should conduct a supervised investigation into our decision to return those shotguns. Surrey Police commissioned two independent reports by firearms licensing experts from Hampshire Police and from North Yorkshire Police. The initial findings from those two reports indicate that the decision to return the shotguns was flawed and did not meet national standards. Whilst the full investigation into this matter remains ongoing, In light of these early findings, Surrey Police has spoken with members of Christine and Lucy Lee's family to apologise for this. Later, following the IPCC investigation, Police and Crime Commissioner for Surrey Police, David Munro, responded to the inquiry's findings by saying that Surrey Police's decision to return John's weapons to him, quote, remains a matter of deep regret for the force. As a result, A firearms licensing inquiry officer attended a gross misconduct hearing where the case against him was found to be proven and he was dismissed without notice. 
This also might have been expected to be the end of the case until in October 2014, the Irish Mirror reported another strange and unsettling twist that had not come to light at the trial. John Lau had tried to hire a hitman to murder Sue Wilson, the person John referred to as his housekeeper and as far as we can ascertain was in fact his permanent partner some 17 years earlier. As we know, Sue eventually died of symptoms associated with dementia in 2013. But in 1997, John asked a security firm boss, Paddy Booker, who regularly bought guard dogs from him, to help him kill Sue Wilson. He said it was because she had told lawyers to fight for half of the £1.5 million farm where they lived. Booker told the Irish Mirror, quote, The last time I saw him in 1997, he said to me in his kitchen, I need her dead. Is that something you can arrange? I knew he was referring to Sue. My first thought was to preserve life. And as a police informant, he tipped off a senior officer of the Southeast Regional Crime Squad. He said, The officer told me he'd make some calls and rang the next day to say John was not going to be arrested but kept an eye on. He told me to keep away from John, who I've not seen since. If they'd acted then, he could not have gone on to kill. When I heard he'd been arrested for murder, I contacted Surrey Police to make them aware of my previous warning and spoke to a case officer. I was told that someone would take a statement from me, but it hasn't happened. I find that extraordinary. And there is one more extraordinary development in this story. In March 2017, Stacey Banner, sister of Lucy and daughter of Christine, and a resident of Keeper's Cottage with her mother and sister for many, many years, was convicted of fraud against Sue Wilson. Sue, who had taken Stacey into her home when she was under the threat of physical abuse from her father, and who had provided the whole family with free food and shelter, had over £100,000 fraudulently taken from her bank account when Stacey Banner was apparently selflessly looking after Sue through her declining health in 2013. This was the same year that John threatened Stacey with a shotgun, which led to the temporary confiscation of John's firearms by police after the complaint by Stacey. But this was before Stacey mysteriously withdrew the complaint, which led to the return of the shotgun that killed Christine and Lucy. Stacey was charged jointly with John of fraud, meaning that the two of them were working together to cheat Sue Wilson out of her own money. The prosecution of John was not pursued, as it was seen not to be in the public interest as he was already in prison. But Stacey was prosecuted and convicted of five charges of fraud, totaling £107,950. During the trial... The jury was told that Stacey, 42, and John, 85, withdrew the money from Sue Wilson's bank account. They were able to do this because Sue was in no mental state to make decisions and because they told the bank that the money was needed for urgent repairs to Keeper's Cottage. Otherwise, Sue would have been moved into a care home. Stacey and John took advantage of Sue's dementia but only a fraction of the £107,000 was actually spent on improving the property or making life better for Sue in the last few weeks of her life. The rest 
disappeared and it can only be assumed that the fraud may have been what they were arguing about in 2013 when John pulled that shotgun on Stacy. We don't know, as Stacy hasn't revealed that, but it's very likely. Meanwhile, John's health started to deteriorate. And whilst he was in prison and having no close relatives alive and no friends, Keeper's Cottage fell into disrepair and urban explorers went to the now deserted and derelict cottage and filmed themselves walking around the scene of the puppy farm murders. Whilst their visit to Keeper's Cottage might have been considered trespassing, what they found showed the bare, rubble-strewn rooms and kennels at John's former home. They described the property as just a very small cottage with a very poorly done extension, surrounded by many outbuildings sort of hashed together, much like a shanty town. Most collapsing and constructed from telephone poles, breeze blocks and either asbestos or metal sheeting. A few personal possessions were scattered around which added to the feeling of the place being left to rot after the tragedy. Although a couple of sofas and chairs still stood in the kitchen and conservatory, multiple windows were smashed and the rest of the fittings stripped. In August 2018, double murderer John Lau died in prison of bone marrow cancer four years after he was sentenced to life imprisonment. Since his death, permission has been granted for the demolition of Keeper's Cottage and a new five-bedroom, two-storey luxury home with outdoor swimming pool will be built, along with a guest house and a home office. The buildings will be arranged around a courtyard, a development that is a far cry from the dilapidated town where John Lau farmed puppies and murdered two people. Red Rum is written and presented by Grace Cordell. It's produced by Russ Clark and Grace Cordell. Sound designed by Russ Clark with additional music by Benjamin James. Hello, I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. And we're the hosts of Seeing Red. We deliver intriguing, terrifying and dumbfounding true crime stories each and every week. With a focus on cases from the UK, we do occasionally venture overseas. We've covered everything from the mysterious death of professional footballer Emiliano Sala to the attempted murder of Victoria Silias, a woman who fell from the sky and lived to tell the tale. Binge our bulging back catalogue and join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red.